Locks in the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, please go to KenjaminMedia.com. If you could have dinner with one person who died in the 1970s, who would it be? Who died in the 1970s? <laughs> it's a very specific question. Yeah. <laughs> Can you even think of anybody? I can't even think of anybody who died in the 1970s. It's a tough question. Wait, um, wait. Let me ask you. Let me ask you an easier question. Uh, yeah. You ready? If you could have dinner with someone who died in the 1980s, who would that be? <laughs> Did Jimmy Stewart die in the 1980s? I thought you were going to say Menachem Begin, but okay, Jimmy Stewart. Sure. Did he die in the I, 1980s? Possible. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart. That's where yeah. You're going. Well, yeah. Who? Yeah. Why? Who would you like to? Uh, to, to have had dinner with who died in the 1980s. I, don't know, I was thinking Golda Meir, but I think I think Golda Meir would be a fascinating person to have dinner with, don't you? I think she'd, she'd be a very fascinating person to have here's, dinner Here's with. a woman who led Israel, which in and of itself was, remar- she died in the 70s, 1978. It, it isn't herself remarkable. And she was a woman of her generation. I, all of the factors that go into making Golda Meir, Golda Meir, like I would love to hear that story firsthand. Today, uh, I want to talk to you about some something very important that I think is not discussed enough in our culture. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about breakfast, because I think breakfast is undervalued and underappreciated and underspoken of in good ways meal. that I'm not sure why. Did you say good meal? Very good meal. Yeah. Okay. You. So you are a fan of breakfast. I'm a fan of breakfast food. Breakfast food. Okay. So what we define as breakfast food. Yeah. But yeah. you don't necessarily... So do you eat breakfast every day? I eat something that vaguely resembles breakfast. I have coffee and I have, you know... Do you do you sit I, down I wouldn't say I really eat... No, I don't want to say like I eat breakfast, but I, I, I have a little morning breakfasty routine. Do you sit down at a, at, a, at a table with your wife and your child every morning before school, before work, and have a meal together that you call breakfast? Sometimes my wife and I share coffee, sit down over coffee together in the morning. Mm-hmm. Is this after your daughter has started school or gone to school in the old days? She went, back. She, went, she went back today. I know, but that doesn't answer my question. It's no, it's before she is in school. And she you don't you don't have her join you. It's not like a family ritual. We're having breakfast, Dahlia, come to the table. No, we do we have dinner at the table every okay. night. So you do dinner, but let's go back to the important topic, breakfast. So breakfast is not what you you don't define you don't equate breakfast with the family gathering around a table. I don't. In the same way you you do for dinner apparently. Right. Okay. How about, how about you? Well, I I have no family so I have none of either of those choices and I I don't have ritualized breakfast in the same way I have other meals. Sometimes I do have breakfast and sometimes I have breakfast foods. Like right now I have some frozen waffles in my freezer and so I might and some bacon in the refrigerator. So I might sit down and have the waffles with some bacon and syrup. Mm-hmm. Uh, that to me would would be an idea of breakfast, but I don't and never have really have a ritualized sense of breakfast and I've never really had I'm trying to think when I was in relationships when I was married when I, my, I was raising my daughter i i don't think i ever placed a priority on breakfast in a meaningful way in the same way that you just described dinner i wonder about that because you know we we're so our brains work really well in the morning like we are mm-hmm. primed to do, get things done early on and so i wonder why i and maybe most of us but i'm just going to speak for myself i wonder why i never prioritize that sort of 
that ritual idea of, of relationship and breakfast food around a table in the same way. I mean, I've never really done that in general, but you have, but you haven't prioritized breakfast, even though you love breakfast food. I do love breakfast food. Yeah, I don't know. And does everyone's brain work better in the morning? I think so. Yes. Yes. I think that's neuroscience, my friend. I think there are studies done that say that we are most productive in the morning. Okay. I mean, maybe that's not, maybe there are people who are more productive different days, but I think as a general rule of productivity and of engagement, we are most able to engage and connect in the morning. That's what the studies have said over the last few years. <clears throat> We're more able to, to, to engage and connect with other people and work in the morning? Yes, we are more productive, meaning our brain is more, more um, what's the word, agile, facile, uh, engaged, mm -hmm. connected. Okay. We're more okay. able to take in information, and that's okay. that can work on a work level or an, or an emotional level, or a relationship level. I imagine. I don't. I haven't heard it discussed in this way. That's why I bring it up because I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about breakfast. I was thinking about the. You wake up in the morning and sort of there's so much energy today around breakfast. Not breakfast around morning routines. It's huge in the sort of online guru space. Everybody's talking about your morning routine. It's important to have a good morning routine. And, and, and I, I don't hear a lot of conversation about, about part of that routine being sitting around a table with your family or your friends or gathering with relate in building relationships in that morning time around the, the, the construct of breakfast. Yeah. Why not? I don't know. I'm trying to remember if I'm trying to remember if I grew up, um, sort of sitting around the breakfast table. I I'm sure that I did actually. I mean, you had both a breakfast nook, if you will, that beautiful little room off the kitchen, and you had a dining room table. So you had multiple spaces to engage in breakfast. Yeah, there wasn't even, was that, couldn't you even call that a nook? It was, it was a room. Really, it was a room, yeah. Yeah, but you call it a nook because there's no, we there's call no it language for it. But we called it the breakfast room. I guess, yeah, I like nook because it just feels cozy in my mind, yeah. but okay. yes. But, but, but to, to your point, we called it the breakfast room. It was yes. a room dedicated for breakfast, although we ate lunch in there and dinner. <laughs> dinner. Well. Yeah. It was in your house. It was the informal room, I would argue. Was, versus yeah. Right. <laughs> the dining room had a form formal quality to it because uh, your mother yeah. had that quality. Yeah. We do everything at, at, at our dining room table. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's, I don't know. And I wonder how many people do engage in, in breakfast uh, rituals um, that are, that are geared around uh, connecting with others in the family. I don't well, know. Dinner, dinner seems to be the, the meal for that for a lot. Yeah. Of I mean, a, a few things come to mind when you say that. So dinner culturally is the way we come together at the end of a day and can talk about our day, what our experience was, what our, see, it, to me, this is a question of what we value as a culture. We value that idea of the, the things we did, our, our productivity, those kinds of ideas. So we come together at the end of the day to talk about that stuff and feel meaningful. We don't come together generally at the beginning of the day to set up our intentions for the day, our hopes for the day, our dreams, the values we hope to engage in around in the day. Does that make sense? It does. I, I think there are, there are a lot of confounding variables at play though. So I think in the morning, first of all, different people, I, I think people's schedules are much more varied in the mornings. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and I think that people are trying to get 
to whatever it is um, they are trying to get to, whether that's school or work. Do you uh, think and, that there's a sense of feeling rushed in the morning versus the, at the end of the day feeling like I have finished so yes, I have more time? That's exactly my point. So I think that at the end of the day, people people are settling in, they're slowing down, and they are stopping what whatever it was that they were doing. And so I think there's a more relaxed feeling to it, and it's, it's easier to do. I think in the morning, everybody's kind of already f- three steps ahead, which we can talk about as in and of itself sort of you know, not particularly uh, mindful or yeah, it's, uh, it's or, interesting. Or, or present. But I, I, I just think that in the morning between, you know, dressing and showering and eating, it's just too hard for most people to get their schedules synced up in that way. And, and because do you think, and here's another question though, that's because of the way we've constructed society, right? Like we in America, we have this idea of the work day and getting to work or getting to school. And we start those things relatively early in the day compared to other, other cultures that sometimes don't. So if you had a culture just for the sake of conversation that started the work and school day at 10, right? And we woke up in our normal sort of 7-ish, 7.30-ish time and didn't feel that sense of urgency or concern about what was going to happen and had and and decided that we valued the time in the morning as a time of relaxation and breathing and eating and talking and just sort of getting ourselves into a, a place, that would make it, that would give a different result. I just think it's interesting that we we've decided that all the way you describe breakfast and dinner, yeah, that's the culture we live in. But I think we should make it, we could and maybe should make a different choice about how we move forward in the post-pandemic world. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, no, no. I, yes. And I, I, I think that most people don't even take the time to do it at dinner though. I mean, I think this no, is I know. Much, You're right. a much bigger issue. I just think in yeah. general, people um, don't take the time to, to connect with one another. You know, I think that our sitting down and having dinner at, around the table every single night is not common. Yeah, I think you're right. And and by the way, uh, I don't think I've spent more than six months in my entire life. Uh, no, that's not true. The two years I lived with you, we did that. <laughs> but in my childhood and in my adulthood when I was married, and we didn't do that regularly, I, I don't think I've ever really had a consistent sitting around the dinner table Ozzy and Harriet, Norman Rockwell kind of idea of family and connection. I mean, that's just my life. But I think you're right. I think as a culture, we don't do that as much anymore. And part of that movement toward fast foods and a different kind of thing, there used to be, you know, there's issues of gender and, and, and equality and there's all kinds of issues that go into how, why society changed. It's a bigger conversation. For this conversation, I just want to focus on breakfast. So now that we've done the big cultural values issues, tell me the foods, the breakfast foods that make you feel the different things you want to feel around breakfast, comfort or, or prepa- whatever you want to feel. Tell me those foods that do it for you. Eggs. I know you're so into eggs. It's just boggles my mind. Eggs and egg, and frankly, toast. Toast smells great. It it tastes great. It's so comforting. Eggs and toast are so comforting. But I, you know, but bacon also. You know, toast. When you say bacon. toast, you're toast, describing yeah. something that happens to bread. Yes. A process that happens to bread that, yeah. that creates a smell and a feeling for you. Completely. You don't That's love so toast. You don't love the smell of toast? Well, taste fresh toast with butter doesn't just smell comforting to you. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I love the smell of coffee, even though I don't drink coffee and don't particularly yeah. like it. Yeah, but the smell of coffee is not comforting. It just smells delicious. But, but toast and, and particularly eating toast, just it, there's something just very homely about it, something comforting and homely. Well, right, let me stop you there. Again, this is a context, right? I didn't grow up with toast. I don't think, I don't have a single memory of my father making toast when I was a child. Not one single memory. I don't English have a memory muffins? of you were, you were an English muffin family, weren't you? I like your, dad, English your dad made English muffins. I'll bet you. My dad didn't make anything. We we never had a meal yeah, together at you home. Ever had, you ever have English muffins in the fridge? I think I do have a memory Thomas, of buying. You had Thomas's in the fridge. Everybody had Thomas's in the fridge in the seventies. I do have a memory of buying English muffins, but not regularly and not consistently. And I have no memory of the smell you're describing at all. None. So like for you, that carries with it some connection to your mom, to your family, to something comforting and safe and homey and lovely. And I mm -hmm. have none of those associations with toast. Not mm -hmm. one. The only associations I have like that are Clamato juice, clam tomato juice. And there was no smell to it. It was just opening the fridge and seeing it and mm -hmm. coffee ice cream. Those are the mm -hmm. two things uh, that are st my strongest memories that connect me to my father and the home and the kitchen. But what neither the of them had smell and neither of them had hominess. I mean, neither had comfort to it, just home. What are the breakfast foods that, that are comforting to you? Um, well, I don't, I don't, well, I, uh, cheese blintzes. Oh yeah. You've always loved cheese blintzes. Which I almost never have anymore because nobody sells them and you, you can't buy them. Yeah, I mean, you unless you're frozen ones, you get frozen cheese blintzes. Yeah. It's not the same, but I do some occasionally do them. But, uh, but I mean, there used to be, and, and in most of the country, there are no good Jewish delis. If I was in Los Angeles, I could go to a Jewish deli theoretically, well, maybe not today, but in, in normal times and get a cheese blintz, but it's not. And by the way, I hop, this is interesting. The International House of Pancakes, IHOP, my whole childhood made cheese blintzes. They were in crepes, like much more, much more French than Jewish, you could argue. They were in these long, kind of thin crepes, and that you had you had strawberry preserves and sour cream. And I loved those uh, IHOP cheese blintzes. Those always made me feel comforted. Um, and and they until had, wait, let me finish. Cheese blintzes, specifically cheese blintzes. Yes, that's what they were called. Um, and but they weren't like the kind you see at like a Jewish deli wrapped tightly in that yellowish kind of thing. These were more like crepe, long crepes with the, the same filling, the same sort of you know, lovely cheese filling. But they they stopped serving that like in my early 40s. They they just discontinued it because basically, apparently, I was the only person in the country that ordered them. Nobody else ordered them on their menu. And so that I used to get all the time. That was a huge comfort food for me, but nothing that associated with home. I mean, this is the sadness of my life, right? And we go, we talk about this all the time. It's just what it is, but I don't have a lot of associations with comfort and home. I mean, I just don't have them. They didn't exist for me. Home was not a place that made me feel comfortable uh, ever. And so, but cheese blintzes in terms of breakfast spot on my friend and of course i love bacon who doesn't love bacon i mean unless you're vegan or vegetarian i suppose then you don't but i love bacon and i love dipping the bacon in syrup um that's one of the best parts of bacon is the taste of bacon and syrup and i also i mean you know for me the for me the biggest comfort food around breakfast but it, again not so much around home although actually now that i think about it there's a tiny bit of it around home it was lox and bag the, the, the namesake of the podcast right lox and the bagel lox mm -hmm. and cream cheese on a bagel was the one food where we lived on doheny about four blocks away on pico and oakhurst 
there was a, a little Jewish uh, neighborhood and they had a Jewish bakery, Beverlywood Bakery, which had my favorite chocolate chip danishes and brownies. And next door was a place called Charlie's. And that was all, you know, um, fish and cream cheese. And so we used to sometimes with my dad, we would go there on the weekends and get locks and we'd get cod, like a piece of that barbecued cod that we used to mm -hmm. love okay, and, yeah. uh, and cream cheese. And we'd come home and the bagels from Beverlywood Bakery next door. And we would eat that. So that is the only food around comfort. And why is the podcast name Locks and the Bagel? Huh, interesting. It is the only memory of comfort and food and breakfast that I have from my childhood. There you go. Freud. <laughs> we did lot we did we did bagels and, and locks and cream cheese uh Sundays often. Now, did you do the whole, did you do uh, cucumber and red onion and ground pepper and capers or you were, <laughs> you, were, you, were, you were just much more of a kind of a purist? Let me, let me say something to you. And for those people who know where Josh and I grew up, there is a division, a physical geographic division between the North and the South. And those of us in the South, we didn't go into all these highfalutin things like cucumbers and pepper and capers. That was not part of our experience. The Southerners, the Southern Jews, we had <laughs> we had locks, we had cod, which was kind of the special mm, doohickey. So we had locks, we had cod, and we had cream cheese, beautiful cream cheese, and mostly onion bagels. I think in those days, I pretty much only ate. I mean, when we would get bagels, it was only onion. My whole childhood, I don't remember ever getting in any other bagel. You know, as an adult, just as a side note, I've become a huge fan of the sesame bagel. Mm. Love the sesame bagel, but as a child, always onion bagels, and and then the chocolate. So I would have locks. Oh, this is my favorite breakfast. This is this is the culmination of the conversation on breakfast because the only breakfast that made me feel loved and connected and gave me a sense of family, like you were describing earlier, which I think is the point of breakfast in many ways, and the hope for breakfast. We have a hope for breakfast. This is the hope was. Locks and cream cheese on a bagel. On one half of the bagel would be the locks. On the other half, sometimes I would go extravagant and put cod on top of the locks. Yeah. So you would have locks on one side, and then you have locks and cod, double, double fish yeah. on yeah. the other. But accompanying the locks, cream cheese on a bagel to make it feel like home was what drink? Dr. Brown's. Dr. Dr. Brown's? Well, for me, it was celery. For me? I think it was Dr. Brown's cream soda. Nope. Oh, well, black oh. cherry. Oh, black Dr. Cherry. Brown's black cherry. Yeah. Cream soda was never like a love. It's okay. But anyway, the Dr. Brown's black cherry, or if they didn't have, sometimes you couldn't get Dr. Brown's. It wasn't always available everywhere or just a regular Coca-Cola would be fine. But I needed, I needed a soft drink to go with that bagel and, and lox and cream cheese because without the Coke or the Dr. Brown's black cherry, it just didn't feel right. And yeah. I, and by the way, to this day, I still feel that way. When I have a bagel and lox, I need a Coke to go with it or, or it doesn't feel right to me. You don't you don't get the 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 black the black cherry thing anymore. Um, sometimes, but it, again, it's harder to find. It's not does it's not. Well, yeah, because you got to go a deli. Yeah, yeah, and celery, Doctor Brown's celery, very hard to find. Yeah, I don't even understand what celery was or is. Celery is some sort of celery, celery like hybrid. Celery soda. Yeah. Okay, let me just ask you a question. If you're sitting around in the pitch meeting or the or the creation meeting at this yeah. at the soda company in 1942, and you're thinking like, well, we've got we've got this coca flavor which tastes fantastic, and we put a little cocaine in that, and then what other flavors can we come up? Well, root beer, that's fantastic. What about <laughs> if we had had beets? No, beets wouldn't be right. Carrots? Yeah. No, celery. Ah, like what <laughs> fucking morons had celery? Ah, 
Where was that the light bulb? Well, he, he was not a moron because it's fucking delicious. I've never met another human being in my entire life who said those words in the same, in a sentence together well, like you just did. It. Well, they keep making it. Do they? Somebody's drinking. What, what am I? I'm drinking like celery that was made when Ford was in office. You've recently bought celery soda? Yeah. I, not Where? long ago, like within the last year, I think, or year or two. Where? At what? At a market? I, no, I think I was at a deli. I, I don't remember which deli, but I was at a deli. It's, I right. think it's the only place you can still get that. That's what I was going to say. There are very few places, and I think you have to have a Jew card to get that. Like, you have to show ID. And if you're exactly. not Jewish, yeah, eh, not going to happen. It's in the vault in the back. You have to go downstairs, and you have to say a few, like, you know, a few. Uh, I was going to say, we don't do Hail Marys. What do we do? What do we do as Jews? I can't even remember the prayer that we would say in this context. I, What's I, I, the Shema? The Shema? I don't I, even... The Shema, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> to get the soda, to get the special underground soda, that's what you have to do. Very rare. It's very hard to find to find um, the soda. And by the way, again, just to go back, celery, crazy idea for a flavor. I'm not sure I've ever actually even tasted it. What is the, What color is it? Um, it is uh, caramelly color. You, if you saw it in a in a glass, it would probably look like ginger ale, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. You know, let's let's also not forget Jews' great contribution to uh, to breakfast, which is French toast made from challah, the best uh, French toast you can possibly eat. I thought you were going to say angst and guilt, but anyway, I I stereotype to my to my detriment. That's but, our uh, breakfast, angst and guilt. Yeah, we well, have to start the day. If you don't start the day with the proper amount of angst and guilt, how will you get through the day? Is my question. Yeah. Yeah, French toast made from challah. Um, yeah, here's the other thing, and you yeah. probably wouldn't like this, but for my money, French toast made from chocolate chip challah. Then now you're talking a meal, my friend. Now you're talking a meal. That'd probably be pretty great. I, I mean, fucking amazing. That's like making French toast from chocolate babka bread. Right. That's like let me just but ingest the heart disease directly into the bloodstream. Well, yeah. You, I mean. It'd be much easier to just inject candle wax into your heart with a syringe, but you know, or put a gun to your head and pull the trigger. Either way, as, wouldn't taste as. Oh, speaking of which, we made a mushroom carbonara last night that was redonkulous. Fuck incredible. you, fuck you, my friend. We're we're talking breakfast, and fuck you for having such good food. Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. Does anybody ever say that anymore? I feel like that's a phrase from my childhood that I haven't heard in thirty years. Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. Where does that even come from? We didn't grow up in a in a kennel in a in a corral or a kennel for that matter. We didn't grow up in cowboy country. Where where did that phrase come from? I don't know. You and the, is it from watching the racist Lone Ranger as a child that we would watch? I, yeah, I don't know. I did love Lone Ranger, though. All right, I, let's I, talk I, about breakfast. Do you think the Lone Ranger had breakfast? Probably not, that bastard. He woke up perfect. Just went out and killed people and had a lovely day. Tonto had breakfast, for sure. <sighs> I don't want to get into that. That feels like it's a bad direction to go into. Um, did the actor who played Tonto abused? Was he abused? Was he treated poorly? Was he paid equally? I'm betting not. Betting not. Anyway, let's get back to breakfast. Oh, so French toast. French toast is a great dish. French toast. Now, are you a, a French? Are you a French toast kind of purist, where you want like a nice thicker brioche kind of bread, or are you fine with like you know the traditional white bread that somebody might have used in the seventies? Ah, that was very common. What kind of bread did your mother use? Challah. 
Always? What if the challah wasn't available? Well, she would just, like she would just use egg bread, some kind of egg bread. Egg bread. But, when I say yeah. white bread, that's what I meant. Egg bread. I mean the regular bread, the boring bread. Yeah, but but mostly she used she used challah. But would it be thick bread? It had to be a little thicker, right? Because if it's too thin, your French toast. Know, it's got to be thick. You got to have a nice thick cut of the the, the challah is perfect. It's it's got it's got, it's got the right consistency. It needs to be about a day old, though. Huh? It needs to be about about is a it, day or it needs to be about a ba- a day or two old because otherwise, what happens is it's it sucks up too much of the gets too soggy. I thought you want you need to stiffen it. Yeah, you you don't want it to fall apart. You want it. Uh-huh. You don't want it to get too soggy. You want it to just have the right amount of absorbency for that wonderful egg, sugar, vanilla, custardy. That's you know. uh, that's a phrase you don't hear in casual conversation that much these days. Just the right amount of absorbency. Not something you hear every day. <laughs> well, it depends on on the crowd you hang out with. I like that phrase, but I just I'm it's not a not a common phrase in the modern world. Uh, but I like it quite. A, absorbency is a good word. It's a good word. It's a strong, it's a funny word. It's a, it's a strong word. I like it. It's a great word. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you the, let me ask you more about, oh, you know, here's the thing. I I remember another breakfast item I used to have in Los Angeles at a restaurant because most of my meals, you you know, this are from restaurants, not from home. Yeah. But there was a breakfast pasta, Hugo's actually on Santa Monica. That's what I was thinking of after I thought about the carbonara. Oh, you know who else made it? Remember Cafe Latte right around the corner from where you used to live? Exactly. They made that pasta mama breakfast that with the sausage and the pasta and eggs and, and pasta together. It's and like eggs. scrambled eggs and pasta, basically. Yeah, that was great. Well, you know what that is? Basically, here you go. Here, that's basically carbonara, yes. Except without um, taking the care not to scramble the eggs when you're adding the mm-hmm. sauce to it. Yeah, it's it's Italian comfort breakfast. What's well, better than Italian comfort breakfast? Very little, I suppose. But that that breakfast with the pot, I've made that actually in my. That's one of the few things I've made in my life. Like that pasta with the with the eggs, and I put sausage in it. Usually, if I if I had more thought and time and and talent, I probably would add other meats. But uh, with the sausage and the bacon and the Parmesan cheese, you made this yourself. The pasta mama stuff thing. Yeah, I've made it a couple times in my adult life. For breakfast? Well, that's a good question. I, I, I don't, I don't really make that distinction these days. I mean, most of my life, I haven't made that distinction about foods. I mean, that's you know, it's interesting. We talk about breakfast, right? So we, we not when you say breakfast to anybody, certain things come to mind. Stuff we've talked about: eggs and cereals and bacon, all this sort of breakfast foods. Mm-hmm. Most people don't think of Coca Cola when they think of breakfast. In fact, I've gotten so many negative res- verbal and 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 uh eye responses eye rolling responses to the coca-cola for breakfast thing nobody seems to think that's healthy or, or good or socially acceptable it's frowned upon yeah although when you think about it i mean if you're gonna get your day kick-started people are drinking coffee with cream and sugar all the time why not just have a coke right this is the thing i've never understood and i mean I still don't really. It doesn't I mean it makes sense from a constructed society idea, but but if you like something, when people say I love this food, but I only like it between the hours of they don't say it this way, but that's what they mean, between six and nine PM. Uh, that makes no sense to me. If I like let me just finish. If I like something, I like it twenty four hours a day. And I, I love a Coke in the morning if it's available and it's not gonna kill me that day. I, I think it goes great with breakfast food. Yeah, Jennifer and I were just talking about this thing. She 
made the exact same point that you made mm. because she will um, uh, she will eat for breakfast something that we had last night for dinner. Yes. And the point she was making was like, yeah, but if you loved it for dinner, why wouldn't you love it the next day in the morning? If you yeah. love it, you love it. I, for me, there's a psychological barrier. I, yeah. need, I need to eat something that I think of as a breakfast food. <laughs> Even if it's like at two o'clock in the afternoon, if I have not eaten anything all day, I need to eat mm. something that seems like a breakfast food before I eat a lunch or dinner food. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Jennifer is very smart. I always thought that. But Jennifer and I also grew up with a lot of fast food, and you did not. So you you have a much different uh, childhood palate framing to yeah. your life that had that had sense to it and structure to it. In yeah. a way that I think that neither Jennifer or my childhood framing did. I mean, mine much worse than Jennifer's. But the fact that you throw in the fast food and the availability and the interest and the engagement with fast food that your wife had and mine was off the chart suggests to me a different framing and context for, again, this notion that you're describing of foods and comfort and, and structure and putting foods in contexts. Yeah. Well, plus she has a cultural uh, context where, you know, the kinds of foods that are eaten for breakfast are, are much more sort of, um, you know, th they don't, they don't resemble the kinds of breakfast foods that we typically mm -hmm. have. In sure. As a Mexican American, Jennifer has different experiences. Oh, you got the wrong culture. Oh, that was your first wife. I'm sorry. I get so confused. You married three Jennifers like Johnny Carson. You married four women named Joanna, by the way. How weird is that? That's very um, weird. But anyway, you've married three Jennifers. And so this is your third wife. Am I no, I'm I'm sorry. Never mind. I'm thinking of somebody else. Um yeah. your Jennifer grew up with in a Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. Her parents were from Japan, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. Born in from, Japan. From from Okinawa. Okay, now, right. And so they, what kind of foods did they have for breakfast? Do you, do you well, know? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that they, you know, my impression is that they, they were, I mean, obviously Jennifer is Japanese American. And, uh, you know, when I eat at their house, we don't eat Japanese food very mm -hmm. often. But do you have uh, rice for breakfast? Do they have rice for breakfast? But Jennifer, for example, likes, she likes to make kind of a rice porridge. Mm -hmm. um, or she'll eat other sort of savory, but I'm thinking about savory. I mean, bacon is savory, you know? It, so again, it is. So, you know, again, it's, it's, it's psychological. Just, it's just a psychological, con it's just a construct. I don't right, know. Right. Because I, exactly. Cause what's the difference between eating? I mean, there are, there is a thing as steak and eggs served in lots of restaurants. Yep. But I think a lot of people at home, they, when they think of breakfast meats, they think bacon and then sausage. They don't, they don't go to like breakfast duck. And who has breakfast lamb? Not very common in America. Right. Although to me, the thought of lamb and eggs, oh my God, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and, and why would why would you eat a smoked, you know, right. barbecued cod or, exactly. or, or whitefish or, or smoked salmon? Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, the idea of just like broiling up a you know, center cut salmon filet for breakfast doesn't seem to appeal to anybody. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. The foods you eat for dinner, nobody, I've never heard anybody say, let's have dinner for breakfast. It's very rare, but a lot of people do this breakfast for dinner thing. I love Very breakfast. popular. I love breakfast for dinner. Because breakfast foods create, what I think what you described earlier, that there's a sense of comfort and, and, and childhood to breakfast. There's a sense of joy associated with breakfast. I just don't think there's escaping it. I mean, you know, it's interesting. And I'm thinking back now to my... Sorry, can, I, can I add to that, though? Sure, interrupt me. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. 
<laughs> well, I think that there's, I think that there's also something that feels, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's something that feels sort of sneaky and childlike about mm-hmm. eating breakfast at dinner time. Like you're exactly. not, you know, you're not supposed to, as it's opposed to eating dinner food at breakfast, which just kind of feels, it doesn't feel anything like sneaky or childlike. It just feels like, I don't know. It's all I got. Yeah, so why do we associate breakfast with childhood in a, in a way that we don't other meals? That's interesting. It's an interesting question. Like in, in my mind, I think of like kids coming down in their like for Christmas morning. I mean, even though we're Jewish, but the cultural picture in my head is all these movies where the kids are running down in their robes and excited. That feels like the breakfast mo- feeling. Like the kids waking up and starting their day and, and like it goes, it's contrary to what we talked about earlier in the podcast about like that we don't do that for breakfast now. We don't, we don't sort of get together with our families culturally and, and really start the day because we're rushed and we're feeling this, like we have to get out the door feeling. And I think maybe that's different than it was when we were younger and even our parents were younger, obviously, but, but there's something about breakfast that feels childlike and, and i'll tell you part of why where i think that comes from because i was going to say before before you interrupt me um was cereal there is there are no other foods i think as unique as cereal in the in the childlike breakfast mind i'm going to say two words to you and get your reaction you ready yeah count chocula yeah yeah i, I never i never had that in the house you bastard. Count Chocula, for those of you who don't know, was a breakfast cereal. I don't even know if it's still made. Maybe it is. We had little chocolate marshmallows and little chocolate, you know, pieces. And and your milk would get chocolatey like a lot of other cereals, but it, it just had a quality to it. But I think we didn't have that in the house because I didn't like it. I, I just don't like marshmallows very much. Hey, I, you're I, killing me. You're killing Cocoa, me. Well, hang on. Like Cocoa Pebbles, way better than Count Chocula. What about Lucky Charms? You didn't like Lucky Charms? Marshmallows. No, no did not like Lucky Charms. Cocoa Pebbles. Cocoa Pebbles, terrific. Cocoa Pebbles was my favorite cereal because it had uh, it had the added benefit of really being two meals. You had the cereal, and then when you left the milk in the bowl at the end, you had chocolate milk. I mean, that was genius. I mean, as opposed to those dudes who sat around coming up with putting celery, putting a vegetable into a soda, the dudes who came up with chocolate cereal, it's cereal and chocolate milk. Yeah. genius yeah those guys are geniuses they should be in the food hall of fame yeah i will say this the range of breakfast cereals even when we were kids was phenomenal i mean i had just a, just on the chocolate family alone you had cocoa pebbles you had cocoa krispies you had cocoa puffs by the way they love the word cocoa and cereal for some reason as opposed to calling it because they couldn't they probably couldn't get away emotionally or psychologically with with calling it chocolate puffs because that would feel like oh that's too much sugar yeah. <laughs> even though it was all sugar anyway. What happened? Did they did they still make? Uh, well, on the other hand, wasn't it called sugar pops? Yeah, that was a weird one. That was that one I never really understood. And I, that was a cereal. By the way, that was the least interesting cereal made. That cereal was was like a like a yellow puff of shit. Yeah. I, I never even I, understood I, that I cereal. Like, I like that. I like those. I never understood that. I, as I got older in my teen years, I introduced Golden Grams, which was a new cereal, which had a lot of sugar taste. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you go to a store, a supermarket in another country, and you know, <coughs> you compare like to the cereal aisle in our mm-hmm. big, you know, supermarkets, it's, it's astonishing. Um, 
It's it's at our, our cereal aisle is obscene. Our supermarkets in general tend to be obscene. When you think yes. about you see how much uh, variety of food is offered compared to to other countries. That's true, but there literally the cereal has its own aisle. It's there are 400 500 cereals. It's astounding. I mean, now there are a lot of healthier cereals, by the way. Um, but I mean, who really wants that? Uh, so you you didn't have sugar cereals in your house? Your mother didn't allow that or you just didn't like them? Not very often. I'm trying to re- even remember. I mean, uh, clearly I, I ate sugar pops or corn pops or whatever the fuck they were. <laughs> sugar pops, I, thought, I think is what they were called. Mm. I mean, I've obviously eaten cocoa pebbles. I remember eating frosted flakes. That was my dad's favorite cereal. That was the only cereal my dad ate. Um, but I don't think we usually had those in the house. Do they still make those little uh, cereal boxes of cereal? Those little packs, those individual that if yeah. you, you cut I a little, you cut them like you had your little plastic knife, you could you could use them as a bowl. Yeah, because it had a wax liner, mm-hmm. and you could just use the whole thing as a bowl. They I still d- make those. I don't know. That's a fine question. I would. I don't recall seeing them. I've been in the cereal aisle of a market as recently as two weeks ago buying cereal. And I, I don't remember seeing the boxes. I, I think that might be a, of an era, of a time. I might be wrong. They still might make that, but I don't think it's widely widely distributed. Um, yeah, I don't think so. But I I do, I was trying to think then, that, uh, just going back to my list of chocolatey cereals, and there was Count Chocula, right? And then later, much later, they like now there's like chocolate frosted flakes. And, and Kellogg's makes a healthier cereal with chocolate pieces in it. Um, yeah, there's lots of things that are in, in today's world, but, but back then all of those chocolate cereals, I loved, And I, I, as I say, Count Chocula has, has chocolate in its name. Yeah. That was the only one. Yeah. And it had a, but it, but it was rooted in a character. It was so specific. Like Count Chocula was on the commercials. It was a, and, and by the way, this is an interesting idea too, from an advertising standpoint, let's create a vampire. <laughs> A cereal made from a vampire's idea. Like, I don't even understand the connection of the vampire and the chocolate and the cereal. I'm not exactly sure where that came from, but I think it's hilarious in retrospect. Count Chocula. Well, Count Frankula. I mean, Count <laughs> Frankula. Frankula doesn't really have but a where does where does the connection happen between chocolate and the vampire and breakfast and children? I just like, were we so limited in our childhood that the character that seemed most um, exciting to us was a vampire? Was that it? Like we were so before the world of, you know, online gaming and all the, the 3d graphics and all the characters in video games. Like we just had a vampire. That was it. That was our cool, like go to, like, let's make something exotic. We'll call it a, give it a vampire. Yeah. They were angle. Only- yeah, there were only five monsters in in anyone's con- <laughs> in anyone's consciousness up until like nineteen sixty nine. We had limited we had limited monsters. We could have been could have been zombie chocolate. I suppose we had zombies. I do I do I have even, a memory of zombies. I don't even remember zombies until the seventies. Huh. There's like there's Dracula, there's Frankenstein, there's the werewolf, there's the creature from the Black Lagoon, and there's Godzilla, <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> that's all we had. That was the that's limited. All, uh, that's it. That's all we had. Until I think you know this uh, sometime in the seventies. Interesting, yeah. I mean, those cereals 
felt comforting to me. But sadly, there was no association with my family in any way. Like, I'm pretty sure I remember taking the box of cereal and a and a half gallon of milk down into the my room downstairs and just having cereal and watching TV. That was my my memory of it. I don't ever remember having cereal at the dining room table at our table. I literally don't remember ever using that table for eating. But I'm you, pretty sure I took it to my table? room. What? What'd you do at that table? Nothing. I the one memory, this is so weird. Like we lived in that apartment for eight years. And the one memory I have of that table, literally the one memory was my twelfth uh, or thirteenth birthday cake being cut. That was it. That's the only time I ever remember using the table. We had a chocolate cake from Hanson's, the best bakery in Los Angeles, for for birthday cakes. I remember cutting the cake on that table. That's literally the only memory. That's another thing you and my wife have in common. You both like birthday cake. Mm. Well, I like traditional cake, like two-layer, you know, chocolate yellow cake, whatever, with the chocolate frosting. I mean, I love cake, and, you know, Jennifer appreciates that, too. And, yeah, and Hanson's, that Hanson's cake with the... With the, uh, the marble cake with the chocolate chip center creamy filling. Oh, my God. That was like a staple. All the rich kids got that from Hanson's. And then I remember telling my father about that one year. I might have been, I think, 11 or 12. Like, we have to. And, and it, by the way, they weren't that expensive. But that's just where sort of the rich kids from our world got cakes. That was the bakery of that generation. And so I wanted to be like all of you guys, you know, who went to the fancy baker. Although, again, it wasn't that fancy a bakery, by the way, <laughs> but there are much fancier bakeries. Hanson still exists today, and there are like 50 other bakeries that are much fancier and much more expensive and, and much more high-end now than Hanson's is. But it's still, it was recent. I mean, I did it for Mariana when she was little too. We got those Hanson's cakes. And the, the, again, that marble cake was just a beautiful, classic cake. And just great flavor, great you know, consistency. Hanson's is huge. Still. Yummy. Huge. But then, then all those fancier kind of bakeries started to develop. And like, I remember Mariana went to school with kids who would get cakes that literally cost like $1,200 for a birthday cake, not exaggerating. And like Cheryl and I would never in our lives, even if we could have afforded it, which we couldn't, we would never have spent $1,200 on a birthday cake for Mariana 20 years ago. I mean, today it seems like a lot of money, obviously, like a crazy amount of money. But now we're talking about like 15 to 20 years ago and some of these very wealthy families that we knew would go. To, I can't remember the name. It was like Rainbow Bake or something. I can't remember the name of it. But there was a bakery near Olympic and and Barrington. Anyway, we get just like crazy expensive cakes. But yeah, I, oh my God. Speaking of cakes, is, this is another childhood memory of breakfast. There, Ralph's Market, which still exists in many places in the country, mm-hmm. used to sell. A, they would sell their their two layer chocolate cake. It was yellow cake in the middle with a really nice chocolate frosting with nuts on it and. And they would they would cut it in half and sell half cakes. And as a child, this half cake often was my breakfast or sometimes dinner. I would get this half cake and I would eat the entire fucking half cake, by the way. But I would eat it in the way I ate like a Kit Kat bar, as we've described before. I would eat the cake from I would cut it into individual pieces. I would never eat the whole cake like with a spore because it didn't last as long when you did that. We have to trick your mind. So I would cut the cake into pieces and then I would eat like the cake in the middle out on each side of the the middle layer of the cream filling, the ganache, if you will. And so I would eat the yellow cake and occasionally get a little piece of frosting. And then I would I would eat the frosting on the back first, and then I would eat the frosting on the top last. It would just be all frosting in the last eating of the cake. Did you did you eat the cake? <laughs> yeah, I would eat the entire half cake in that way. It was like six pieces. I would eat it. See, and I would always say to myself, well, I'll just have one piece. 
And then I'm like, oh, I'll just have two pieces. And then I just have three pieces. And then the cake would be gone. You know, I ate my feelings pretty much. So that's how it worked. That's how it worked when you grew up where you didn't feel safe at home. You just ate your feelings and you ate your safety. And that, that cake was fucking incredible for that. And then Ralph's also, by the way, this is what happens over time. In my 20s, discontinued that fucking cake. So where could I get my sad depression eating cake? It no longer existed. So the crepes and the cake no longer exist. Yeah, it killed me. It, it made me go to therapy in my 30s. Like that was the thing that sent me to therapy. All of my my avenues of comfort, my coping mechanisms of food disappeared in the world. And so basically the war, the universe was saying to me, dude, you need therapy. You can no longer eat your feelings. <laughs> That's what happened. If Ralph's hadn't discontinued that cake, I would be dead. I would I would not be here today. I would never have gone to therapy. I would have killed myself somewhere in so my early thirties. So, so it was a good thing. Saved ultimately. my life, those fucking bastards at Ralph's. Thank you, Ralph's. Saved my life, but I missed that cake. The Dude. frosting. I just have to say, like my memory with the nuts. It was just like a classic chocolate. I'm not even sure if it was buttercream or I, I don't even know. I I couldn't even tell you. I'm not that sophisticated in that way. But the the flavor was so with the nuts in particular. It was just like this rich, deep chocolate flavor, mm. and I remember it so vividly. But you still eat your feelings. Well, and sometimes, sure. But also, I talk about them, so I do both now. As, mm. as, as, as someone into my early thirties, pretty much, I did just one, one mm. of them, not the other. I have to pick up my child from school. What time? Two fifteen. Okay. Qu- last question. Yeah. What is Dahlia your child's favorite breakfast food? Mango. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay, I just want to say one thing, and I don't mean this judgmentally. You're a terrible father, a horrible fucking okay, father. Okay, so wait, I'm going to say, I'm going to tell, I'm going to say something to you now <laughs> okay. that is going to change your mind. Okay, go. The other day, Dahlia said to me, "I can't get Jailhouse Rock out of my head." Now, do you still think I'm a bad father? Yeah. Where's the chocolate that's, in that sentence? That's just that's good parenting. <laughs> that is I good. You- let me just say this, and then we'll end. I thought you were going to say, when Dahlia has mango, I give her some chocolate, some dark chocolate sauce to dip it in. Well, she loves chocolate. She's a chocolate freak. She yeah, loves where did she chocolate. learn that? Well, you think she loved it. She <laughs> learned it from you. You know, I don't know if she learned it from you or if she just loves chocolate like any, you know, like most people. But who? Okay, but when your daughter was two, three, and four, who took her to Starbucks and get her cho- got her chocolate cake pops regularly? You did. Right. Yeah. Some people might say that's a horrible thing I did. Others might say, good for you, sir. Bravo. I applaud you. I said good day. I salute you, sir. I said I salute. Oh, that's a different bit. Never mind. <laughs> All right, Joshua, go pick up your daughter, and we will continue this conversation when we crest. Indeed. Locks in the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the air, or you'd like to make a comment, or you have a show idea for us, please leave us a voice message at 503-770-0263. 503-770-0263.